0: you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know um, that we are moving into this uh, gospel called the Gospel of Mark. And so uh, the reason we're doing that is because there's this kind of tension in our culture right now. And the tension in our culture is that um, we're a very spiritual culture, but we're kind of disillusioned with organized religion and the church. Is anybody with me? I mean like I'm a pastor of a church and I'm a little disillusioned sometimes with organized religion and the church. Uh, I'm disillusioned with some of the scandals that are allowed to happen. I'm disillusioned a little bit with sometimes the way I see money spent. I'm disillusioned with some of the different things that are working on uh, in the church. And then there's Jesus and even in the culture, even in our very spiritual culture, um, Jesus is pretty well liked. In other words, when we look at the church, we sometimes go, gosh man what's going on with the church what's wrong with the church what why is it so off base what's it doing and then when we look at Jesus and we kind of go wow that's cool that's Jesus wow And, and the problem is is that we rarely actually give Jesus a real hearing we, actually, we rarely actually look into the life of Jesus himself at the documents that are the most accurate documents, the most reliable documents we have of the life, the teachings, and the work of Jesus. We rarely go to those and say, what did Jesus actually say himself? What did he actually do himself? You know, it's interesting, i say said this every week, but it's interesting that if you were in the first century When this whole Jesus thing got going and this thing called the church was birthed, you could not. No one could have separated the movement called the church from the person and the work of Jesus. But now it seems like you can. Now it seems like you can do church life. You can do religion and separate Jesus out of it. And you don't have to say much about the mind, the thoughts, and the work of Jesus himself. So we don't want to do that. So we're going to work through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look very carefully at Jesus himself week after week after week. And and this is really cool because uh, the other writers of the Bible point us to this all the time. Here's another passage. I'm going to try to show you one of these every single week, how other writers of the Bible try to push us back to the centrality of Jesus himself. So check this out. This is in colossians chapter 1 verse 15 he says jesus he is the image of the invisible god he's the firstborn over all creation he's number one he's the first for by him all things were created someone say "All all things all things were made by jesus okay he's not the little kid of the trinity all things were made by him And in him, all things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And someone say, For. All things exist for Jesus. That means you exist for Jesus. You were created by Jesus and created what? For Jesus. You were created by Jesus for Jesus, and he holds all things together. So if you walked in this morning and things worked in your body to get you in the front door, or if you were able to eat and your digestive system worked for you and things were just clicking and you're alive and your mind works, you were created by God, you're held together by God, and you are for God. You exist for God. That's a beautiful thing. Wired together by God himself for himself created for a purpose. And then what's he say? And he holds all things together. He's the head of the body, the what? The church, which means it should be unconscionable. It should be crazy to be able to separate Jesus from the church, and that the church would do anything other than center itself on the person and the work of Jesus himself. You know, it's interesting. There was this awesome quote I want to show you by Shane Claiborne. It says, when we lose Jesus at the center, we start talking a lot about things Jesus never talked about. Oh, imagine that. When he's not at the center, we talk about things he didn't say. But when he's at the center, and when he's not at the center, and we start talking about things he never talked about. We stop talking about things he cared about. We start talking about things he didn't care about. He's not at the center anymore. Right? And that's something we just don't want to do. So we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. That's a big introduction to what we're doing week after week after week. If you were here last week, Jesus encountered a guy called a leper. He had a disease called leprosy. We pulled up a little WebMD to kind of show you what that was about. Uh, It's a disease that attacks your neurology so that you can't feel your fingertips, and you can't keep your eyes open, and you have constant nosebleeds, and you have sores. And in that day and age, in the first century, they associated this monstrous look, this body that was looking horrible horrible that was a scary look someone looked at a leper and they would go ah i don't want to be around you so what you did is you pushed the leper out of the city you pushed the leper away from the city and you kind of fed them like a dog so you wouldn't put food out but you weren't close to the wild dog because he didn't want to be touched because it was a myth that if you touched a leper you got leprosy have you ever been around somebody that you're afraid to touch because you're afraid you're going to catch whatever they got and i don't mean like a cold i just mean there's a vibe about them and you're just like i don't want whatever that is we do that we associate touch with getting whatever somebody's got even if it's not a sickness and so lepers are pushed away from the camp they're pushed away from the family and jesus which is interesting jesus is surrounded by the crowds now, a leper can't get to jesus when there's a crowd. Or outcasts can't get to you if you only hang out with church people. They can't. And so here is Jesus, and what he does is he pushes away from the crowds, and he gets away from the crowds to go to another place. And while he's on the journey to another place, this leper guy finds him, and the leper has a very interesting question. His question is, I think you're powerful enough to make me whole. Do you want to? I think you've got all the power in the universe i think you're strong enough to do whatever it is you want but i don't know about your heart and i don't know if you love me i don't know if you care about me and i don't know if you want to make me whole and we saw last week jesus came through real clear he said i want to And you might be here this morning, just an introduction to the talk. This is last week's sermon. If you missed it, Jesus wants to make you whole. He wants to work in your life. He sees the things that are broken that no one else sees. He sees the things that make you feel like an untouchable to other people. He sees the things that are the most embarrassing. He sees that moment of shame 10 years ago that no one else really remembers. He sees it. He knows it, and he wants to make you whole. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you, and he's brokenhearted over the things that are painful in your life. Jesus is not up there going, well, got what they deserve. He's up there brokenhearted. He said he was moved in his soul for that brokenness, and he moved in his direction, and he made him whole. This week, we come to chapter 2. And you know, it's interesting, when I think about this week, there's a very famous verse in here we're going to get to in a second, and I won't tell you what it is yet, but when I get to it, you'll know what it is, and you've heard it before. Um, But it's interesting because it makes me think of a particular character trait that I have, and the character trait is, I hate going to the doctor. (laughs) Now I grew up in a family that didn't trust doctors. And uh, so my mom didn't take us to the doctor very often because she believed that the health food store lady knew more than the doctor knew. And so we'd go to the health food store when we we got really sick, but we didn't go to the doctor. Anyone grow up in a family like this? Like, hey, man, those doctors, I don't know about them. So I didn't like going to the doctor. And so truth be told, I went my whole life into adulthood never going to the doctor, never having health insurance, okay? there's only been like two years of my whole life that I've ever had health insurance, and it's because um, Obama required everybody to get it. And so, you know, I did some kind of share thing to make sure I had some health care. I've never had health care, and, uh, and I went most of my life never going to a doctor. Now, about seven years ago, I was playing Ultimate Frisbee. And, uh, you know, I was out there playing and competing and having a good time. And uh, I was racing down the field and I reached up to grab the Frisbee and um, didn't, you know, no contact. No one touched me. I was about to score. I was way ahead. And uh, my knee all by itself went pop. And I fell down. And I got up and I was like, I'm fine. And the whole whole field was like, you are not fine. Like that sounded like a tree branch broke, like you are not okay. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And wash me. And I, I like limped around a little bit and ran around limping a little bit. And I was like, I think I got it. I think I got it. And they were like, uh, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. So we went out there and I tried to run, and uh, and then I fell over, just completely fell on my face. And they were like, I don't think you're fine. I was like, I think I'm fine. I Think I got it. So I got up and I tried to run down again, and I took a cut and I fell over again. And they were like, are you sure you're okay? And I was like, ah, maybe I need to sit down for a second, but I'm fine. I'm all right. So, I went to my physical therapist buddy, and he's like, You need to go see a doctor. And he was like, No, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Swelling went down in my knee. No big deal. Um, a week goes by. You know, I'm fine. I'm just going to give it a break a little bit. I wait two weeks go by. There's not a lot of pain in my knee. I'm fine. I go out to play Ultimate Frisbee again. I get out the run again. Take one step, shoot down the field, fall over on my face. And uh, the people are like, Are you okay? And I'm like, No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I just take a break. I'm okay. I'll do some more stretches. I'll be fine. I'm all right. So I didn't play for the rest of the game. I took a couple weeks off. Um, I did this for three months. For three months... I tried to exercise a little bit more, stretch a little more. I'd be fine. And then I'd try to go out there and run, and I'd fall over on my face every time. Every single time I would go over, and it was the same kind of thing. I'd fall over. It was so bad, it would be dangerous. I wouldn't know when it would give out. It would be really weird. So one time I was helping somebody move, and I was carrying a box, because I'm fine, right? I'm fine. I'm carrying a box down the stairs. I'm doing just fine. My knee gives out, and I tumble down the stairs with a bunch of boxes. and almost break my neck. I wasn't fine. But I hate, hate, hate going to the doctor i hate it so finally i went to the doctor and lo and behold i have a torn acl and guess what if you know anything about those they don't fix themselves anybody know that like they don't just like grow back okay they're just gone torn done and there's only one way to fix it and that's surgery and that's to give you a repaired acl in your knee Which means a guy who'd never gone to a doctor now has to have surgery. I was not happy about that, but the doctor was like, Here, you got two choices. Either you keep falling on your face, or you can have surgery. Because the ACL, it's gone. You're done, it's broken. And and what's interesting is in this passage, is Jesus gonna encounter a few people. And he's going to encounter one group of people that know they're broken. I mean, they know, they know, they know they're broken. And they're so desperate to see a doctor, they'll do whatever it takes. And there's another group of people that don't think they're broken at all. They don't think they're messed up. They don't think they have any struggles. They think they're just fine the way they are. And we're going to see how Jesus relates to these two groups of people. Let's check this out. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when Jesus had returned to Capernaum for some days, it was reported that he was at home. In other words, he was at his house. He was in his hometown at his house, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So there's no room, no one's at the, there's no room, not even at the door. There's crowds are gathering around at the door at his house, okay? And he was preaching the word to them from the inside of the house. So you gotta imagine this, Jesus is in the house, Jesus is in the house, the door is open, crowds of people are in the house, crowds of people are outside the house, and he's preaching, okay, and it's just packed, and you can't get to Jesus, okay? And while he was preaching the word to them, and they came, in other words, these group of people, these unnamed group of people, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, a paralytic, a guy who can't walk, a guy who is paralyzed, we don't know if he's paralyzed from the neck down. We don't know if he's paralyzed from the waist down. We don't know how much he's paralyzed, but he's paralyzed. He cannot move. Paralytics don't fix themselves. Paralytics don't stretch more to get their hamstrings better. Paralytics can't do a few exercises to get better. They can't do anything. They're stuck. And in that day and age, you starve to death if your friends didn't take care of you. There's no health system to take care of you. There's no nursing home for you. There's no great medical care. There's no cool chairs for you. You are done unless you have some people who love you. And he's got four guys apparently who just love this guy. We don't know why. We don't know if they're brothers. We don't know if they're friends. But they seem to love this guy, and they have heard word that there is a guy in town who can make you whole. They've heard that he's healed a leper. They've heard that he's cast out demons. They've heard there's a guy that can make you whole. He can change your life. And he's at his house, and the crowds are around him, and these four guys go, we are getting in the house. So what'd they do? They couldn't get near him because of the crowd, so they went up on the roof, and they removed the roof. If you imagine this, this is kind of fun. Four guys get up on the top of the roof, and they're like, we're getting in. We're breaking in the roof. Now, I don't know. You know, in the first century, I don't think the roof was probably made out of steel, and it wasn't made out of oak wood. It was a little bit easier to tear through and get into. But they break through the roof, and they're coming through the roof. Jesus is teaching the word. These guys are coming through the roof, and then they're going to get their guy down in the living room. I'm sure everybody's kind of like, what the heck's going on here? Jesus is teaching, doing his thing, and they get into the room, and then Jesus saw what? their faith. Now, what kind of faith was this? This is the kind of faith, and let me tell you, sometimes we misunderstand what faith is. We think faith is this, like, I'm a powerful person. I'm this powerful Christian with great faith, and I'm conquering the world and the power of God. I want you to know that's not what faith is. Faith is a desperation that Jesus is all you got. Faith is a desperation that you can't put any confidence in yourself. Faith is a is a thing that says, I've got nothing else. I've got no other hope. I can't do anything else to fix myself. I have no other option, but there seems to be this guy named Jesus, and maybe he can break into my world, and he could make me whole. That's faith. Don't get it twisted. Faith is not something you can ever pump your chest about. I'm a great Christian. I'm a great person. I got my stuff. Faith is a desperation. I am paralyzed, and I don't have any other option. That's faith. And Jesus saw the desperation. He said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's odd because he's paralyzed, And he got into the house to be healed from being paralyzed and jesus looks at him and goes wow what faith your sins are forgiven son if i'm this guy i'm kind of going um uh, yeah okay that's cool but that's not why i'm here like uh we'll do some sacrifices for my sin in a minute there's a there's a goat i can sacrifice later okay I'll go see a priest for that in a minute. I didn't come to the house. We didn't break through the freaking roof so that I get my sins forgiven. I want to walk, Jesus. That's what's going on here. But you know, it's interesting because what Jesus is doing is Jesus, Jesus isn't stupid. He knows the guy can't walk, but Jesus sees there's something more devastating going on with the guy than the fact that he can't walk. And do you know there's something more devastating going on with us than anything we're suffering through right now? There's something more devastating that's happening inside of us than just whether or not our body physically hurts, whether things are not going well at our job whether things are just not working out the way that we want them to work out in our lives, there's something more devastating going on. And I want you to know Jesus is compassionate for our physical suffering. He's compassionate for the things we're going through in our life, but he sees straight through it to the thing that's really going on. And the thing that's really going on is we are broken. We're broken. And he sees that. He sees straight through it. He says, hey, man, there's a bigger thing going on here. You need some sin to be forgiven. Now, here's here's what he's not saying, let me just get this straight. He's not saying the guy's paralyzed because he's a sinner. If that's true, they'd all be paralyzed. Because guess what? They're all sinners. Okay? So, so Jesus is asked this later. Hey God, did bad things happen to this guy, you know, because they're sinners? And he goes, Are you kidding me? It ought to happen to all of us. You're all sinners. It should have happened to everybody. No. He's saying universally, the bigger need is the guy needs his sin dealt with. He needs his sin forgiven. Now, what's interesting is, as soon as he says this, there's these religious people. And they're sitting there, and they're going, huh? Huh? Wait, hold up. You don't have that right. You don't have that right because only God can do that, right? And see, they, they, they're, not, they're, they're not putting that kind of confidence in Jesus yet. And, and so they get pretty indignant. Hey, hey, there's this guy with sin. And here's what they're also thinking. They're the ones who do the sacrifices. These are the scribes and the priests and the folks like that. And they're thinking, wait a minute, that's my job. We're the ones who go before God with your dove or your lamb. And we're the ones who make the blood offering so that God accepts you. We're the spiritual ones. We're the godly ones. We're the ones who are supposed to take this sinner before God and make sure he gets forgiven who are you to show up on the scene and with one word say hey you're forgiven only God can do that and Jesus knows what's in their mind and he perceives in his spirit that they're questioning him this way and he said to them why do you question these things in your heart which is easier to say to the paralytic What's easier to say say to the guy who can't walk and can't move, your sins are forgiven? What's easier to do? To say that, that your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk? What's easier? Now, that's a rhetorical question if you haven't bumped into those. Okay? Because the truth is, they're both impossible. You can't manage your sin and I can't manage my sin. And no human being on the planet can snap their fingers and say, Lloyd, it's okay. Now, we try to do that with each other all the time. We'll sit with each other. Someone will blow it. Someone will do something. And we'll sit across from somebody and we'll go, you know what? It's, it's, hey, listen, I know, Sam. I know. I know you did that, but I'm your friend. It's not as bad as you think. It's really okay. Don't feel bad about it. It's fine. But the truth is, no human being on the planet can snap their fingers and say, your sin's forgiven, Cheryl. It's impossible. Just like no one can snap their fingers and say, get up and walk. There are two impossibilities. And Jesus says, which is easier to do? Forgive your sins or rise up and walk. But verse 10, this is the thing that holds the whole story together. But that you may know. Someone look to your neighbor and say, that you may know. See, this is the awesome thing about Jesus. He wants you to know some stuff. And he wants you to know it really, really clear, that you may know that the Son of Man has power and authority on earth to do what? Forgive sin, to heal the most devastating thing going on in any of our lives. Here's the deal, the paralytic, if he walks again, if he gets up and he walks, he still has a clock, he's still going to be in a grave one day. If God comes in in powerful ways and heals your back that hurts right now, or he comes in and he heals something you're struggling in in your physical body, if you have an autoimmune disease, friends, uh, if God heals you and he goes, wow, you're healed, you still have a clock, you'll still be in a grave unless Jesus comes home first. There's something much more devastating going on in us. It's our sin. And so Jesus speaks into that that you may know that he has the authority on earth to forgive every bit of shameful brokenness you walk with. That's more devastating than if you couldn't physically even move your neck. If you know that he has the power to do that, check it out. I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Not so we would go, wow, a healer, so we'd go, wow, a guy who can deal with the most devastating thing apart with me, my sin, my shame, my rebellion, my darkest secrets, the thing that makes me the most unlovable to other people who know me. He says, you're forgiven. You can be healed. And so you know that I can do that? Get up and walk. That's amazing. And it comes, it bumps into a couple things for us. One thing it bumps in for us is, uh, do we believe that Jesus can actually forgive our sin? We know, at the deep down, we know it's kind of impossible to forgive it ourselves. We try you know, our culture has lots of stuff like forgive yourself, be easy on yourself, let it go, love yourself. And But we know at the end of the day, at the quietest nights, we, we know that it, it's still there. It's still there, and we don't have the power to get rid of it. And no matter what any of our friends who love us or any of the popular people that we're around, no matter what they say, it's still there. The question is, do we believe he has the power to do that? It's a big question that hangs over a lot of our heads. And I'll tell you this, particularly if you grew up in the church, because there's the words that ring into the church boy's ears, if you know the right and you don't do it, bigger judgment for you. And so if you're a church kid and you grew up like me in the church and you've got some dark stuff you kind of battle with and struggle with, and you kind of go, man, I'm trying to manage it. Man, I'm trying to fix it. Man, I'm trying to solve it. But I seem to fail again. I seem to fail again. I seem to fail again. In the back of your mind, you're going, God's going, oh, Chuck, but you know better. You grew up in the church. You know better, don't you? And at the end of the day, you kind of go, man, I don't know if there's a Jesus out there that has the power to forgive this. And so you walk around with shame and condemnation and guilt, not knowing if God can do what he says he can do, which he can forgive sin. And so he does that, and check out what it says. He says, um, the guy rose, he got up, he took his bed, he went out. They were all amazed, and they worshiped, they glorified God, saying we never saw anything like this. And I don't think they're saying we never saw anything like a guy getting healed from being paralyzed. Yes, what's the bigger thing? The guy has sin and shame and guilt done away with, and they're amazed. There's a guy walking guilt-free, shame-free, condemnation-free in a moment from the powerful work of Jesus. And then I want you to see how the narrative, and this is going to seem like it's shifting on us, but it's not. But check out what it says. It says in verse 13 then, he went out beside the sea and all the crowd were coming to him and he was teaching them and as he passed by he saw Levi the son of this guy's name I can't say I just try not to say him if you're new here I just don't know how to say those words the Levi the son of Alaphrius or whatever sitting at the tax booth okay more important than the name of his daddy is where he's sitting he's sitting at a tax booth so we just got to a guy who as far as we know, was paralyzed from the neck down, couldn't move. And he's obviously, you look at him, he's obviously broken. And then Jesus meets at a tax booth. And if you know anything about the first century, these guys were more hated than the Romans because the Romans pulled them out of the the Jewish culture And they said, hey, we want taxes, and you know where to get it. And by the way, you can take as much as you want. Here's what you owe us, but you can also take as much as you want, and the Roman government supports you. So a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, was a thief. A Jewish tax collector had the Roman government behind them to say, hey, you owe 20% to the government, but I'm taking 35% for myself. And you can't do nothing about it. So Jesus gets to Levi, and he's sitting at a booth, and, of course, you has got the crowds following him, and he says to the guy, follow me. If you're following Jesus, if you're one of the crowds, you're going, what? Okay, so you heal the guy who can't walk, and you say you forgive sins, but come on now. I don't know if we're going to keep hanging with you if you're going to let the thief, the tax collector, the traitor to our culture, the one who has turned their back on our culture... So that they can get a leg up with those that are in power really that guy follow me And jesus says follow me and he rose and they followed and he didn't just say follow me he reclined at a table at levi's house that's worse that's worse hey dude who's stabbing your jewish brothers in the back and robbing them from extra money I want you to follow me. Oh, the crowds are going, uh-huh, I don't know about that. And then, where are we going? We're going to the bad part of town. We're going into that part. Oh, no, hey, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a wait, minute. Wait, wait. Hey, Jesus, you know that they carry knives around here. Hey, you know, Jesus, this is where they sell drugs. You know this is where they do that. Uh, hey, Jesus, um, the, there's a, this is the uh, red light district, Jesus. Uh, where are we going here? And they go to his house... And he goes into his house and he sits at his table with what many tax collectors if you're one of the religious people you're losing your mind okay one is bad enough now you got many and what are you doing you're sitting at his table you're eating you're reclining and of course the religious people the scribes of the pharisees when they saw he was eating with sinners See, when you're religious, everyone else is a sinner. You don't need a doctor. Everyone else needs a doctor. They're sinners and tax collectors. And he said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors, i.e., backstabbers and thieves and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. I came not to call the righteous and what he could say is i came not to call the people who think they're righteous but i came to call sinners and here's the question the band can come back up and i'm done and we're going to move to the table here in a second but here's the question that hangs in the air do you know you're spiritually sick do you know you're spiritually sick i don't i'm I'm not if you're not a jesus follower this morning I just want you to know you're in good, you're in good company because you're around a bunch of people who are spiritually sick, broken, and, and, and are walking through seeing Jesus heal our lives from that brokenness. So if you're spiritually sick, you're in a great place. But I tell you what's more dangerous, and this used to be me for a long time. I came to church week after week after week, and I didn't know I was spiritually sick. And I want you to know this morning, if you don't know you're spiritually sick, that's a more dangerous place. That's carrying boxes downstairs with a torn ACL, not knowing that your leg's going to give out and you're going to bite it and maybe break your neck. It's more dangerous to know or not to know that you need help than to be the guy who's paralyzed saying, I need help. And what's faith? faith the thing that would rescue us that would save us is the recognition we need help and we see Jesus as our only option if Jesus is your only option this morning then trust him if Jesus is your only option if he's the only way to deal with his shame and condemnation then trust him put your confidence in him and let him move in and begin to restore and heal your life So with that in mind, we're going to move to the biggest representation of what Jesus has done through the table. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to respond through taking communion and through worship. Jesus, we love you. We need you. And we are broken in a devastating way. We're more broken than the paralyzed guy. We carry more shame than we want to tell anybody about. But you have the power to forgive sin. And you came, you said, not for the righteous, but for sinners. And the cool thing is, the interesting thing is, we're all in the second category. No one is righteous. No one's sitting here. Okay, we need you. We need you to heal us. Because so we wanna have the faith that comes to you and says, we can't do it on our own. We wanna look at you and say, if you would make me whole, then we wanna be whole our confidence in you, in Jesus' name, amen.